Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. All right, welcome everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is a little bit of a longer podcast. I had a lot to say. I'm hoping you'll stick with me. I'm just back from Israel and have a lot of thoughts to share, both about my experience over the past week and about how they relate to this week's Torah portion. Before we begin, I want to say a few thank yous to two couples who became weekly sponsors of 7-Minute Torah this week. So thank you to Sai and Rona Charney. And thank you to Ben Horwitz and Ellie Streifer. I'm grateful to them and to all of those who give a small amount each week to support the production of this podcast. If you would like to become a weekly supporter of 7-Minute Torah, you can do so at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash 7-Minute Torah. You can also, by the way, do so through La Asok, which is our Beit Midrash, our study center. And if you send me an email at rabbistreifer at gmail.com, I'm happy to walk you through that as well. One more quick announcement, which is that, as many of you know, I am launching two new classes later on in March, starting March 14th and going for four Tuesdays in a row. I'll be re-offering my popular class on Radical Jewish Views of God. Uh, That's on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. As well, starting about a week later on March 20th, and for six Mondays in a row, we're going to be launching a Pirkei Avot study group. Pirkei Avot is, of course, the Talmudic tractate of rabbinic ethical teachings. And so for about an hour a week on Monday afternoons, we are going to dig into that very interesting and very accessible tractate of the Talmud. If you'd like to join either of those, you can go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, or again, you can send me an email, rabbistreifer at gmail.com. Now let's talk about the Torah portion. This week we are reading from Tetzaveh. Tetzaveh is Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, through the middle of chapter 30. This is almost as dry, almost as tedious as last week. Last week in Truma, we read all about the building of the sanctuary, the building of the Mishkan. We read in incredible detail about all the different elements of that prayer space that the ancient Israelites are creating. This week, the Torah does the same thing, but for the clothing of the priests. So chapter 28 starts off with a command by God to Moses to hakrev elecha et aron bring forward your brother Aaron with his sons to serve me as priests. So God goes about describing all the different clothing or vestments that the Israelites are supposed to make for their high priests and for the priests. So there's a so there's a breast piece, there's an ephod, which is a kind of a tunic or um, vest. That's the main priestly garment. There's a robe, a fringed tunic, a headdress, and a sash. We're basically dressing the priest, not unlike what the Torah scroll looks like today in this elaborate, beautiful set of clothing that sets apart the priest 
as someone who has a holy job. And the Torah goes about giving all this detail about the colors and the materials and the construction and the way that all the pieces fit together. By the way, I recommend looking up a picture online, if you can find one, of the high priest in their sacramental vestments. It's a little hard to picture what we're talking about here, but you can find lots of depictions online because the Torah is so detailed. So what we have here really is a set of very beautiful, relatively functional clothing for the priest, which, as we said, is meant to set them apart as someone who is serving God and also as someone who is serving the Jewish people. So let me now take a step back from that and talk to you for a moment about my trip to Israel last week, and you'll see why I'm bringing these two things together. So I spent this last week traveling in Israel for a conference, having this extraordinary, complicated, inspiring experience. And if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, I recommend it because I did talk about my my first trip to the Western Wall and seeing the many kinds of religious life, the many kinds of holy life going on, coexisting there at the same time. I want to acknowledge right now that things are really challenging in Israel right now. You have a government that is teetering toward dismantling the democratic institutions of the state. You have a rising cycle of violence. Over the last couple of days, we've had both Israelis and Palestinians killed. We've had terror attacks um, that have taken the lives of Israelis in the West Bank. And we've had a truly terrible rampage of Jewish settlers through a Palestinian city in the West Bank, setting fire to houses and cars, and one person being killed in that as well. And at at the same time, there's this unrest in Israel's civil society. There are protests, there's discontent with the current government, with the situation. There is, I think, an all-around longing for a more just, more fair, more human society, a society where people can see each other. One of the experiences that I had last week was to go to the Western Wall. This was my second time at the Western Wall during the week to pray with Women of the Wall. Women of the Wall is a group of women who visit the Kotel once a month on Rosh Chodesh, on the new moon, in order to have a women's prayer service. Rosh Chodesh is traditionally seen as a sort of a women's holiday, a time for women to come together and engage in spirituality and engage in prayer together. And so this group of women has been visiting the Kotel once a month now for years, in order to have a service together. They read from the Torah, they pray together, they sing, they wear talit, and some of them wear tefillin, and they have a prayer service together. This is technically against the rules of the Western Wall, because, of course, the Western Wall is currently governed by an ultra-Orthodox rabbi who has imposed, on behalf of the government, a series of rules that limit and control the way that Jews can pray at the Kotel. And so the women of the wall are often met with what can only be described as abuse being hurled at them, and sometimes more than abuse, sometimes 
um, being spat at and shouted at and having things thrown at them for coming to the Western Wall in order to pray. Now, I, not being a woman, can't pray on the women's side with the women of the Wall, but I was there to be part of a group of men who were supporting this group of women in coming together for their prayer service. And I got to kind of accompany Rabbi Gilad Kariv, who is a Reform rabbi and also a member of the Knesset, a member of Parliament, who, as he attempted to bring a Torah scroll into the Western Wall Plaza in order to give it to the women, because the Western Wall authorities won't allow the women of the Wall to carry a Torah scroll in and use it in their service. So Rabbi Kariv is carrying this Torah scroll, and there's a group of security guards surrounding him, arms around each other, protecting this member of parliament as he carries a Torah scroll in from the throngs of people surrounding and trying to disrupt both the prayer service and the group carrying the Torah scroll in. And I could probably talk about it for hours, but suffice it to say, this was a very disturbing experience. Being jostled, being pushed and shoved and moved around and shouted at for coming to pray or to support Jewish prayer at the Western Wall. By the way, the end of the story is that uh, the women held their service um, those of us who were men who were up on the plaza couldn't really see and hear what was going on. We never did manage to get the Torah scroll to them, but we did ultimately jostle our way out. And uh, Rabbi Kariv was able to undress the Torah scroll and hold it up so that the women on the other side could see it. And one of the women ultimately chanted the maftir, the last portion of the um, of the parsha. So it was. I don't even have the words to describe this experience. It was moving and disturbing and inspiring and maddening all at the same time. And you know, as Abraham Joshua Heschel once said, I felt like my feet were praying. Simply by being there, I felt like I was participating in some kind of an attempt to make the world a little better, to, to support people's right to pray and gather in a religious setting as they wish. Israel has a lot of challenges right now, and I don't want to suggest that religious rights at the Kotel are more important than Palestinian rights in the West Bank, or more important than the democratic fabric of the state. Those are, I think they're all symptoms of one larger problem. And now that I've talked about this for 10 minutes, I want to actually get to the Torah portion, because I think it does speak to this. So among the many other types of clothing that the Israelites are commanded to create for the priests, they're supposed to create a choshen mishpat, a breast piece of decision. You can see something like this on a Torah scroll today. This breast piece, it's essentially a metal piece that the priest would wear on their chest, and it has in it a series of stones. This is from chapter 28, Exodus 28, Verse 17, it says, Set in it, in the breastplate, mounted stones in four rows of stones. And then it goes on to list what all the stones should be. I won't read them all. But the point here is that there are four rows of three stones for a total of 12 stones. 
And then it says, Vahavanim tihiena al shemot b'nei Israel. The stones should correspond in number to the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve corresponding to their names. In other words, the priest is wearing this set of stones which are supposed to correspond to the 12 sons of Israel, which correspond, of course, to the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 units that make up the people of Israel. The priest is wearing this symbolic representation of the people that he is serving. And the Torah says that the reason he is supposed to do this is zikaron livnei Israel, a remembrance of the Israelite people. Now, there's some debate in the commentators over what exactly that means, a remembrance. Some of the commentators think it means so that God will remember. In other words, the priest will bring the presence of the Israelite people before God, and that's one possibility. The other possibility comes from Gersonides, who says that this is so that Aaron, or the high priest, should always keep them, keep the people in mind. In other words, the role of the priest is to serve the people. And for that reason, the priest is supposed to carry this representation of the people of Israel right there on his body. Uh, In the words of Rabbi Pinchas Peli, the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were to be carried on the shoulders of Aaron so that he should never forget the burden of their needs and always remember that he was not carried on their shoulders. They must be constantly carried on his shoulders to care for their needs and to be a loyal spokesman for them. So for the commentators, or at least some of the commentators, these stones on the priest's clothing are supposed to be a reminder not to God, but to the priest. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget whom you serve. You, as a leader, are here to lead and to serve the people, not to be out for your own best interests, not to be out for your own power, but to be out for the best interests of the people. And that, I think, is a really important message for leaders of all kinds whether they be prime ministers or rabbis or heads of the Western Wall, that your job is to serve your people. And what's more, these 12 stones, they're all different stones of all different colors, which I think is also a reminder that the people are not all the same, that serving the interests of the people doesn't mean trying to force all the people into one box. It doesn't mean assuming that everyone is the same and has the same needs, in fact, it means assuming that they're not. And that applies when we look at the Western Wall and the needs of many diverse kinds of Jews and kinds of people to be able to pray there. And it also applies, I would argue, in a wider sense to the larger conflict between Israelis and Palestinians that one of the issues is an inability to see the legitimacy of the needs of the other. But that if we can remember that we carry all 12 stones... If we can remember that we don't all have to be the same in order to have similar human needs and that ultimately serving God means serving the diverse needs of diverse people. I think what we as human beings aren't very good at is making space for the narrative of the other. And here the Torah seems to be trying to remind us that even within the people of Israel, it's important to make space for all the narratives, and all the more so in those moments of conflict between our people and other peoples. There is no more high priest. There's no one else to carry 
all the stones. We carry them ourselves. And it's the hardest thing we have to do, but also the most important. So I long for the day when we won't have to have this conversation anymore. When the 12 stones can represent unity and harmony and working together. But until then, I hope we'll keep working for a better and more peaceful and more human society in Israel and everywhere around the world. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.